0: Today's scripture is Acts twenty seventeen through 35. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the providence of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house." I've declared to both the Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole of God the will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He brought with His own blood. I know that after I leave savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions in everything I did. I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive.
1: Alright. Hey, good job. That was a really long passage. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> Glad you guys are here. Good to see you all. Um, yeah, this is, okay, so let me, uh, let, me get, let, me get, let me get a slide right up here. So this is, uh, this is really going to be the focus of our, of our passage today, specifically on the elders. Uh, we're going to talk about, he gathers this group of people together. They're the elders of the church. He calls them out of his own city. It's like they went on a little elder retreat. You're going to meet us? Oh, here. Here's Meletus. Here's the town of Malia. Here's it now. I mean, it's all in ruins now. But it's sort of like he gathers, like he calls up all the elders and he says, hey, I need you to meet me over here and we're going to talk. Um, and I have some things to say to you. And so we're going to talk, first off, like... We're, we have a few different topics, I'm going to talk about what elders are, what their role is, how they were chosen, uh, what, he, what, he, what his goal is here with gathering them together, uh, and after that I'm going to jump into like specifically the things that he said, I mean, it's only going to be like 10 minutes on the end of like the things, sort of like last week, the things that he specifically said, and then I want you to like, I'm going to give you a few pieces I kind of want you, if you want to, take them back to your house, church, and like sort of read through it through a specific lens that I'm going to give you here. So, um, I'm going to pray. Uh, Glad you're all here. If I didn't introduce myself, there's always new people and I forget. Uh, my name is Tommy. Um, I've been pastor here for a decade and a half or so. Um, and uh, we have a new church <laughs> after COVID. A whole new, all, all these people that, that I'm, I'm glad to meet you all. I don't know where a lot of you came from. Um, and we're still waiting on, on the rest of us to come join us and eventually we will. Uh, but yeah, let's open in order of prayer and jump into this passage, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. I pray that right now as we open up your word. And as we, as we read these ancient texts that were uh, preserved by, by your people, I, I pray that we would, um, first off, have wisdom to understand them, to rightly sort of uh, extract your, your truths from them without bending it in any specific way. I pray that we would take it for what it is. Um, that we would understand that these are people who were attempting to follow you in the path of Jesus in the ancient world and it was difficult, just like it is now. So I pray that uh, in the same way you gave them wisdom to discern the path, I pray that you give us that wisdom as well. Help us to, uh, to walk forward into the future that you have for us, whatever it looks like. Um, and may all of that start right here, right now, this morning. Be with us, speak to us, calm us. Help us to put aside the the stresses of our week, the things that we have been struggling with. Help us to put them aside. We can pick them up later when they're done, but maybe we'll pick them up with new perspective. But for now, allow us to be here. I pray also for those things that we are worried about that are coming. All of us have them. I pray that we would push those aside as well and be present here. This is the only moment that exists, and so I pray that we would spend it with you and with each other. Speak to us. In your name. Amen. Okay, so uh, from Miletus, Paul sent uh, to Ephesus. Uh, For the elders of the church. So, um, first I want to start talking about elders. The elders in the church, uh, it's a a small group of people um, that are chosen from among the the bigger church, from all the people, and basically they're the pastors of the church. Um, And the elders of the church, um, they have have two specific roles uh, in in the early church. Um, The first role is they activate and organize the body so that spiritual gifts are being used. This is really, I would say, the main role of pastoring in general, is understanding the gifts that people have, that the Spirit has blessed people with, and getting them in those places, and, 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 uh, and really sort of helping organize the body of Christ in a way where everyone is sort of acting from specifically the gifts that God has given them. Um, oftentimes we try to force things, we try to get people in charge of other things, and it doesn't work. So it's a prayerful thing. It takes a long time of spending time with people and discerning. Um, so this is one of the main, main roles of, of pastors and elders in the church. Um, and we've talked about the, the, the spiritual gifts before. They are the things that God has equipped with his, his people with. And I don't think it's necessarily, as I've said before, my argument is that when Paul makes these lists of the spiritual gifts, they're not identical lists every time. They're actually very different. I tend to think that what Paul is doing is pointing out the things that were specific in that church and said, hey, some of you had this and some of you were this and these are gifts from God. Use them for the church. And so I think if there's some of you in this room who have specific gifts, even if they're not mentioned in the text, some of you are very good with numbers. That is a spiritual gift, believe me, for those of us who are not. Um, some of you are very gifted with, with music. Some of you are very gifted with uh, serving and listening. And, and Some of you have the gift of healing, you just don't know it, but you are drawn to people who are sick. Um, and you pray for them and you spend time with them and sometimes they're even healed. And whether you know it or not, uh, God is using you. And so part of um, the elder role in the church is finding these things out and helping get people uh, activated where they're at. The second thing is, is very simple. It's to live like Jesus in the midst of the people. Very, very simple. That when you look at the elders of the church, you should be able to see, okay, this is how a a, uh, a formed Christian um, lives their life. It doesn't mean there's not mistakes. It doesn't mean there's not... Um, problems here and there, but in general, um, if you follow the elders, you will you will live like Christ because they're attempting to live like Christ. So this is what they're after when they when they talk about the elders in the church. Um, and by the way, if you're from another church or whatever, think about all think about your elders with all of this. They should always be in the front of your mind. All your elders living. Um, as Christ would, if not, have a a conversation about it. Um, And so there's a lot of questions about how are elders chosen in the church, how are pastors and leaders and elders chosen in the church. And this is a question that has a lot of different answers depending on your denomination that you grew up in. Um, We are a relatively diverse church. There's all kinds of denominations sort of represented here. Um, And so there's a lot of ways that people practice this, uh, that hire staff and pastoral staff and install new elders. Some churches believe that... um, that there's, there's, there's a specific process, like an ordination or a consecration or a laying on of hands. Um, the ordination process, by the way, I want to point out, is not actually in the Bible anywhere. I have to stay over here because these lights are out and these ones are on. Um, the ordination process that, that, that people use today isn't actually in the Bible anywhere. The first one to ever ord- ordain another person for ministry, I believe, was the Apostle John. And he ordained Polycarp, I believe it was, to become a minister, basically to carry on the apostolic role. So, uh, that is... Um, there's, there's, there's ways that people think it should be done, but there's no laid out process. And here's the interesting thing. If there was ever a time to lay out a process for selecting new elders, this would have been it for Paul. Like he was with them for two years, three years, since three years with them, teaching them, sets up elders in the church, and then gathers them all together, um, and he doesn't leave them any instruction on picking new elders. Because the early Christians didn't live by necessarily these set rules and laws. They lived by the Spirit. They followed the Spirit. They discerned um, what's the most wise Christ-like way for us to select elders in our church. Um, And so let's see what they did. If you go back to Acts chapter six, you can read a passage about this. It says, says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, these elders were being, uh, basically, there was so much work to do that they, uh, they couldn't get it all done, and so they had to expand their elder board. And so as you do, they said, I want you to gather together. We're going to pray about this. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to pick a few elders to lead this church. They were getting very overloaded. Um, honestly, this is the same thing. This is where we're at as a church, okay? We're coming back from COVID. We've lost a couple elders. We have four, including myself. There's four of us on the elder board, and it's, it's getting a little... Getting busy. There's tons of meetings. Like every three nights, we pop in on Zoom together. We're like, there you are again. Let's talk about more stuff. Um, and it's a lot. And so we are at that place where we are looking for more elders right now. And we're taking our time. And we're going to ask you guys. You actually, many of you received an email this week. I think if you're a member of the church, you received an email this week asking you, hey, like, who's pastoring? Who's shepherding already that isn't recognized as a shepherd? Um, and, uh, and we're asking you to, like, keep an eye out and let us know. And so we left instructions on how to do that in your inbox. And if not, I believe there's going to be more announcements on the website, and I believe we're going to put some stuff up in the lobby for you to, to read about it as well. Um, but basically, this is where we're at as well. We're, we're trying to figure out how to, get, how, to, um, how to get some new elders on the board, the best way to do this. Um, so I want to encourage you in this process to continue to pray for our elders, continue to... Um, Keep them in your minds, uh, encourage them, ask them, check in on them. When division rises up, they jump right in and they get in the middle of it and it's hard and it's, it's, uh, it's emotional and it's heavy. Sometimes very difficult things are happening and they're, it's, it's like you have all of your stuff that you're carrying, and maybe you have some stuff from your family that you're carrying that's heavy, and uh, just know that there are some people in the room who are carrying all of your stuff as well, if you have told them about, like if, if you've opened up to them. So there are people in, the, in our community who are, who are here for your spiritual guidance, and they're not just carrying their own difficulties, they're carrying yours as well, and it's, it's heavy. So pray for them. Um, and so uh, the focus here on Luke, uh, on, on, uh, by Luke in Acts chapter 6 is specifically focused on two things if you read this. Um, he says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of two things, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And so I want to talk about these two traits because these are the things that he says should be present in the selection of an elder, wisdom and filled with the Spirit. Uh, so I want to do these backwards. I'm going to start with wisdom. Um, wisdom, what is wisdom? Wisdom, um, wisdom is always the gift of God. It, it is the big thing God's people have always been after, since the very beginning, they've been after wisdom. Uh, the wisdom that they've been after is, uh, is this, it's, it's defined by a, an ancient Hebrew word that uh, the, the word is chokmah. Everyone say chokmah. 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 All right. So uh, you can, this word is found in Proverbs chapter one, right at the beginning of Proverbs. Proverbs is a wisdom book. Proverbs in Ecclesiastes. Um, these were books written for kings to read. Every day the kings would get up and they would, my microphone's falling, and the kings would read these kind of books. Um, and they would uh, practice um, the the things that were taught there. If they knew, if they followed the path of the Proverbs and and they had studied Ecclesiastes, they would come to find um, bits and pieces of wisdom, and they would would understand sort of more what God is doing in the world. But Chokmah has two specific... levels of meaning. And the first level of meaning is here, and the second level of meaning sort of builds off of the first one. Um, But let's talk about the first one. The first one's very basic. It is It is basically the skill or ability to do some particular thing well. This is what we would call skill, and and chokmah would refer to as as sort of wisdom. Um, So in the Bible, in Exodus 35, there's the skill of artists and craftsmen and weavers that are very skilled at making things, skilled with their hands. Um, In Deuteronomy and in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you have the ability to lean and govern. Those things, the ability to uh, lead well and govern well, these are signs of wisdom. You recognize good leaders, Um, they lead well, and when people follow them, they become better people. You also know the opposite when you see it. You know bad leaders because they're divisive and angry and bitter, and they cause people to become worse people when when they are in charge and when we follow them. Um, Isaiah 10, he talks about a skill for war. Um, That's wisdom. Um, Also, um, I believe it's Isaiah, he talks about um, how some people have, have hands that are equally skilled, it says, at doing good and doing evil. Some people are very, very good at doing evil things. They know how to manipulate. They know how to move people. They know how to control. They know how to get what they want. They know how to speak and not speak when they don't need to. Um, there is a skill that you can have and be very good at doing evil. So this is all, there's, there's a lot more to this. There was professional vocal, vocal abilities of mourners that are considered wise, like people who sing really good, they're like, well, he's a wise singer. Like, this is how they would talk. So this is one level of wisdom, but there's a whole nother level of wisdom that gets into sort of the role of the spiritual elder in the church. Um, and that is sort of described like, uh, like this. Um, it is the ability to do not just things well, but life well. Someone who is able... To do life well, they seem to have an understanding of how to balance things, of how to do things in a healthy way. They're not chasing beeline straight for happiness. They're after um, goodness, and they're responsible, and and they're, they're doing their good work, and as they're doing this, they notice happiness in their life. But if you make a, know that if you make a beeline for happiness every time, what would make me happy right now? you're going to ruin your life. You're going to pick all the things that are going to make you happy right now but destroy you later. And it's always going to be sex, drugs, uh, rock and roll, right? No. Um, <laughs> like it's always going to be like these kinds of things. What makes me happy right now? And you do these things and it, uh, it, it's bad for you later. It might make you happy now. But happiness is something that is realized as you're doing the things that God has set before you. Um, and so there are sort of two levels of this thing. Um, if, if wisdom is the skill to do something well, then then sort of... It is the skill or ability to do life well. It's the second level of meaning that's so central to biblical wisdom here. Um, wisdom is the fruit of observation, of experience, and receptivity to instruction. Wisdom comes about by allowing yourself to be teachable. By instead of like when somebody gives you something that you don't like and says something about you that you don't like, it's, it starts with the ability to say, now I'm, I'm gonna receive this and I'm gonna think about it. It's when you get that angry email and uh, as I try to teach people to do, as a, as a getter of angry emails, when I get them, you, you sort through and you try to pull out and highlight sort of the things that are true, maybe. The, things, the true things that they are feeling, and you just sort of block out the things that are not, the insults and the personal attacks. These are things led from emotion. What is true in this? Um, and, and so this is part of, of wisdom. Being old and having gray hair, I got a little bit... R- right there. Um, being old and having gray hair is not a prerequisite for wisdom. By the way, this is all COVID gray hair. Um, that's where it came from. Uh, but wisdom, it does co- tend to come with age. I know we all know older people who are not wise and who have lately been taken by lies and all kinds of stuff. But, um, in general, um, a long life tends to give you more outlook and more perspective and more wisdom. Um, that's why they always discourage like really young people and young believers from leading in the church. Um, I became a pastor when I was, a senior pastor when I was 26. I became a worship and associate pastor when I was 23. I was not wise. I did a lot of stupid things and offended a lot of people. Um, Learn from my fail. Um, don't peak at an early age. Don't try to get early and, and rush into leadership. Spend some time, work on yourself so that when you lead people, you don't lead them right off a cliff or into a brick wall, all right? Um, so um, let's go a little farther. Let's look at, at some of the roles, the two main roles that wisdom uh, is said to play in Proverbs. Uh, verse three, chapter one, verse three, it says, wisdom is for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing what is right and just and fair, uh, for, doing, uh, for giving prudence to those who are simple, uh, who are simple knowledge and discretion to the young. So it's, it's understanding where people are at, the context that they are in and speaking to where they are at instead of just blanket statement for everybody. What, what, what are you going through? How can I get with you and help you discern um, your path forward through this. Instead of just, I'm sorry, the rest of us are doing this, get in line or get out. It's no, no, no. We're actually gonna come to where you are. Um, this is a whole different way of being. This is not very welcome in America. Um, we tend to sort of wield our power uh, with, with no desire to put any of it down over others. So um, that's wisdom. I wanna talk about what it means to be filled with the spirit next because these two things are necessary for leadership in the church. Um, so, uh, being filled with the Spirit. We've talked about this relentlessly, and I still have like a um, sort of a, un, a, a sub-series going where once in a while I'll grab one of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, here, let's, look at the, let's put those up here. I'll grab one of the fruits of the Spirit and do a whole sermon on it. And we've done a bunch of them, and we still have more to go. But these are the fruits of the Spirit. These are the things that you're looking for when you're trying to gauge, is this person full of the Spirit or not? So like when you read that, I mean, last night, literally my family last night, we watched uh, that Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks. Brilliant. And when I when I watch him or any story about him, when I see him interviewed, all I honestly see is Christ-likeness. Like, that's what I see. He was a Christian, Presbyterian minister. Like, he nailed it. He figured it out. He, uh, unless there's some secret scandal yet to come to life, I don't think there is. I, this, is a, this is a seemingly good man, and if you... If you follow Mr. Rogers, you'll become more like Christ as well, um, because he was following Jesus. Um, so, uh, we've talked about this a lot. But if you want to know what it looks like, how do you know if somebody's filled with the Spirit? It's not about miracles or or magical things. It, it literally is just this is what they look like. The fruit of the Spirit is on their their tree: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forbearance instead of patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Um, these are the things uh, that we are looking for in in church leadership in in when we're when we're looking for people to generally to follow, um, uh, yeah, and there, there's a lot more, and, and we talk about this in some of the email we sent out um, in First Timothy. There's some guidelines um, that Paul thought were wise for for elders and pastors in the church to follow as well. So you can always get into that as well, and that's uh, we'll talk more about that in the future. So. Um, There are these, wisdom and being spirit-filled. These are the two things that the apostles were looking for when they were choosing the leaders in their church. It was never about speaking ability. It was never about wit or humor. It was never about uh, giftedness or talent, the ability to hold a crowd when you speak. It was never about any of that. That stuff is fun and it's great. It really... Uh, it's not what, what spiritually forms people. It's a life lived in the, in, 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 in the path of Jesus in the midst of a group of people um, that gets people to change, that, that grows them. Um, it, it's this invitation into that life. It was never about giftedness or talent. It was never about the ability to inspire and emotionally move and convict people. It was never about any of that. It was never about branding or marketable qualities or even the ability to gather a crowd. Although oftentimes when people are hiring pastors for their churches, they're like, What's this following on Facebook and Twitter and all this? Um, what, how, you know? Let me hear how they speak. Ooh, that's emotional. That's good. That's and this is what we tend to look for instead of sitting them down and saying, "Hey, um, when was the last time you offended somebody and had to apologize? How did that go? How did you do it? Did you apologize or did you just ah?" There's a million more here. Um, h- how about last time um, uh, you you had to resolve some conflict in the community? What, what about? Um, I, I'd like to talk to your spouse and see. Um, what your life is like at home? Or are you a servant of the people in your household? Um, I, I would, you know, there's all these questions that should come up. Are you filled with the Spirit? And are you wise? Are these things present in your life? But we tend to just look at the outside and we say, that's a nice leather jacket. That'll look good on the stage. And you can wear that. Um, and I've known a lot of Christian leaders who were very, very educated. In fact, so far educated above their level of, of obedience to God. Um, and this is very normal. Um, many of us are. Many of us know a lot more about God than, than we have formed ourselves to be like Christ. Um, we know so much about the Bible and all this and then we still flick people off and honk at them when they cut us off on the road. So we don't have, it, deep down in the center of it all, we, we tend to oftentimes not have a Christian instinct. Um... To love, our, to, to, to love our enemies, those who come at us and offend us, um, to respond in a Christ-like way, to be present, and to see that this is our person who is hurting, and that's why they're trying to hurt you. Instead, it's, it's threat level 10, I'm ready to roll, right? See, red and go. Like this is, These are not Christian instincts. Um, the person who is formed by Christ tends to have these things. Um, and so, I've known a lot of Christians who, I mean, when you... Like that, when you read the Bible from cover to cover, what do you see? You tend to see God choosing those who we would usually never give a second look at. It's the younger brother, the lower status one, the weaker one. It's the uh, it's the servant, it's the shepherd out in the field. It's it's the one with without all of what we see as like star quality, right? Like they just don't have it, and God's like, perfect. Bring them on out. I'm gonna put them. I'm gonna put the the crown on. It's gonna be too big, and we're just gonna just make it fit. And 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 and, and this is gonna be your leader. Why? because this is Christ-like. Christ lowered himself, always emptying himself of more and more power. And even at the very end, when he's making this decision whether or not to go to the cross and give up the rest of his rights, even his very life, he says, I don't really want to do this, Father. Is there any other way this could go? But I'm willing to, if that's what needs to happen. Um, And so that's what God was looking for in other people. Um, And so it's like, God doesn't simply call people, call people who seem equipped. Uh, he calls them, and then he takes the time to equip them um, as they're needed over time. And oftentimes, you're just not ready. Uh, none of us were ready for what we were going through for the last two years. I wasn't ready. I was talking to the St. Pete House Church the now, and I was like, you know, there were. If I could go back and do it again, I would have done so much different. There would have been so many things I, I would have said different, um, and we would have suffered less loss as a church. Um, but these are times when you grow and you learn and you change and you learn, okay, so I've learned not to push people too hard. I've learned some people need to be pushed a little more this way. I, you learn. Wisdom comes from the experience of, of pain and suffering and loss. That's where it comes from. We've all gained a little bit of wisdom over the last couple of years. Um, and, I, and I think we should point that out and I think we should ponder that. Um, it's like about a lot of other things. A lot of people um, don't realize they have, have the gift of, of pastoring um, until other people sort of point it out in them, all right? And how do you know, how do you know if, if you've been called to pastor, or be an elder or whatever, how do you know if somebody is called to be a pastor? Well, it's a simple question. Uh, the answer is simply like, are they pastoring people now? Are they naturally shepherding people? Do they go to people who need guidance and try to offer them guidance, even if they don't know the answer do they help read with them alongside of and, and help lead them? Are, are they not content with you sort of like wandering on your own trying to figure this thing out? That is a pastor, someone who jumps in next to you and speaks to you and carries that burden, puts their arm around you and tells you their story about like when you were there and they walk you through it. That is a pastor. That's what pastors do. If you are pastoring, um, then perhaps you're called to be a pastor. <laughs> I would just say, you, perhaps you have that gift and that's what God is calling you uh, to do. Some pastors talk about how they feel like our previous pastor back in the, in the early 2000s. I remember him saying, I, I felt an audible voice call me at a certain age to become a pastor. He pastored for three years. I swear to you, I never heard any kind of call or anything like that. I've been here for 18 years. Like I, I never felt, any, all I know is um, my friends needed me to stay and so I stayed. The, my friends needed guidance and and we were a family in a community. And so we stuck it out and God brought in more people and more pastors and more, and God is doing his thing. I was, I was the other day in my ghost costume at Trunk or Treat. I was the ghost, by the way, with the sheet with the holes. (laughs) Many of you walked right up to me, shook my hand, ghost hand, and walked away. Um, That was me. Um, And I'm looking around, I'm like, look at all this. Like, this is the community doing this. I had nothing to do with any of this. Our elders nothing. Like this is just the community coming together. This is this is our our, some of our staff, our coordinators like working on stuff, putting it together, and like, you guys just rose up and did it. and It was beautiful. Um, we all have a role to play. All of us do. Um, and so now let's get let's go let's get to Paul's work, right? Paul's word that he had. Um, so the qualifications for elders, just to, just to put a sort of a, a fork in this and call it done. Uh, filled with the Spirit. Filled with wisdom. That's what you're looking for when you're looking for church leadership. If you're church hopping, if you live somewhere else and you're visiting in town, I know Amy is uh, wisdom and uh, filled with the spirit. That's what you're looking for in the church and in leaders in the church. Um, and so when Paul starts speaking, let's go, back, let's go back to Miletus, shall we? Let's go back to Miletus. And, and Paul, he has this final speech, and it's kind of sad, and he starts off talking about how he's like, a lot of you you are just, you're just never going to see me again. Okay, and we're going to talk about why he says this in a second. But he's like, you're never going to see me again. But he says, but there's there's three things I want you to think about. Um, There's three things he really points out to them. uh, Three different sort of ways that he wants them to to work through this. And I'm, I'm not going to put all the verses up. I'm going to put the references and chapters up. Write these down. If you want to go through these with your house church, you are, you are invited to do that. Uh, but verse 18 through 21, uh, in these verses, he calls them to look back. This is going to be like sort of the most evangelical sermon you've heard from. It's kind of alliterated because this is exactly how he does it. Um, uh, look back verse 18 through 21. And if you read that, there's all these ways that he is saying like, okay, I've spent three years with you and I've never called attention to my life. But now that I've spent three years with you, by the way, the exact amount of time that Jesus spent with the disciples, there's a reason for the, everything that Paul's is doing. Um, I spent three years with you, and now I gather you. And just like Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Paul says, I want you to look back, and I want you to look back at my life. And if you're wondering how you should live your life, I modeled it for you for the last three years in your midst. I worked very, very hard and stayed very focused. I had spiritual disciplines I was practicing to keep me on track so that I could... I could be a living, walking, talking Bible for you so that I could could stand in your midst and live in this way that inspires you and says, well, this is different. I I didn't know that you could live like this. And I lived like that for the last three years. He's like, look back at the ways that I lived among you. That is how I want you to live. Paul very specifically does this. He spent years living a life publicly in front of people and not saying a word about it, but a life that represented Jesus. And he calls them to look at it. And what he's doing here is he's setting up a model for them to follow. And then he's living it out. And then he's inviting them into it. And the reason he's doing this is because this is what Jesus did. Uh, You have have Christ doing his ministry. And eventually there comes a moment where he he goes out and he does all these things. He heals people and and preaches the gospel, the kingdom of heaven. then he comes back. And then he says, now I'm sending you out to do the exact same thing. And he sends them out. And they come back. And he sort of talks to them some more. And has more sort of mentoring and coaching and teaching for them. And then if you actually read back to back... The Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts, like I've said a thousand times here, these are the same story happening to two different people. The first one is happening to Jesus. He does all the work that God's called him to do, and he suffers, dies, resurrection, and then he plants the church. And the church does exactly the same thing that Jesus did. They heal people, and they travel, and they preach, and they gather people who were outcasts, and he gathers them all at one table and powers them all and says, we are all the same, and we are all equals. And this is how it works here. Um, and through this they suffer and some of them die and the church grows and begins to grow and change and, and, and spread throughout the world. And so like everything that Jesus did was exactly what Paul's doing. And the reason Paul's doing it his way is because that's what Jesus did. Paul orders his entire life around Jesus. Paul, uh, Luke even starts off the book of Acts by saying, in my former book, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And then he goes, and now we're gonna talk about the things, it, the book is called The Acts of the Apostles. It's like, we're gonna talk about the things that they did now. And they're gonna look very much like Jesus. So much so that they're literally going to make the same decisions that Jesus made on purpose so that they can say they are more and more like him every day. Um, and so this is a model of discipleship that Paul has for them. A life lived in the midst of other people is a, a valid and, and very effective form of discipleship. Saying, this is who I am. This is how I live. Watch and follow. He says, you saw how I lived, how I preached, how I shared the uh, <coughs> tears for you and with you. And he says, I have declared, I preached the gospel to both Jews and Greeks um, And they must turn to God in repentance. Basically, I treated everyone the same. I told everybody the same message. You all need to repent and come to Christ and have no allegiance in anything but Jesus and become more like Jesus, nobody else. And he does it to everybody. The the spiritually high, the spiritually low, the Jew, the Gentile, the Greek, all of it. Paul sees his life. And this is the kicker. This is the point of the whole thing. And Paul says this later in 1 Corinthians. He said, Paul sees his life as a theatrical stage performance of the life of Jesus. It is a biography that he is writing with his life, with his body. Um, Everything that Jesus does, he did. And Paul is calling the church now, as, as Paul did this for three years. By the way, again, the exact same amount of time that Jesus was with them. So Paul spends three years with them doing what Jesus did, and then he calls them up onto the stage and he says, now it's your turn to put on the play. I'm leaving, and I'm I'm taking the show on the road. And you guys are gonna stay here and you're gonna do this nightly on Broadway in, in the city of Ephesus and the people are gonna gather and, and, and I want you to live among these people as if Jesus lives among them. And this is his charge for the leaders of the church. And this is a huge, huge deal. Um, and so the first thing he says is look back and then he says now, obviously, uh, look at the present, verse 22 through 24. If you read some of that, um, you see uh, special things. He, he, he sounds like he's... Um, this is actually the continue of, continuance of a previous conversation because what he does is he tells them, right now, I'm leaving and I'm going to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in Jerusalem? He says, um, it's going to go bad. I'm probably going to be thrown in prison. I'm probably going to be killed. And he says, by the way, none of you are ever going to see me again. And basically, he's prepping them to say, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. After three years here, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Why did he spend three years with them and go to Jerusalem to die? Because this is exactly what Jesus did. This was Jesus' life, three years with them, and then he marches down to Jerusalem, um, where he confronts the temple and says you 're off track. this whole thing needs to come down, and he is arrested and crucified and killed outside the city. Paul very much expects the same thing he doesn 't get the same thing he 's able to go there, go go some other places, um, but when he gets there, he is rejected. By the Jewish church, the, the offering that he brings, I think. Um, they don't really give pointers, but I think if they had received the offering he was bringing them from the Gentiles, things would have gone different. Um, but I, he, he experiences rejection. He is eventually arrested. He is eventually killed. His life follows the path that Jesus laid out um, for him to follow. Um, and it's supposed to sound like that. It's a model of Jesus and the apostles and the church elders. Uh, and, and the purpose of all of, of this and the church body is so that the church can do what Jesus was doing as one body. Our calling is to do what they were doing. Everyone is on the same path, and they're calling us as one people to go down this path as well. So it's supposed to be difficult. It's, it's, it's supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be this like, this thing where we gather, and, uh, and we make each other feel really good, and I give you an inspire some inspiring words to help you with your work and your job, and then you can make more money, and then we can all move up the social ladder together. That's American capitalism and consumerism. That's not Christianity. Christianity is very, very, very different than that. Um, And Paul is living it out for them. And so the third thing that Paul says, obviously, is uh, verse 25 through 31. He says, look towards the future. He says, some things are coming. He starts off with, again, none of you are going to see me again. Um, And then he says, like, first of all, um, he says, he he encourages them to sort of keep the faith. And basically, uh, the way I boil this down, his message here, is he basically says, like, "I, I really did mean it. I meant it. Everything that I was saying, I meant it. I felt it in my body. I suffered. Um, and by the way, it's going to go the same for you. As you are here leading this church, it's going to be very difficult. People are going to be uh, very hard on you. He says, now the second thing he has for them is, 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 is you have to be good shepherds. You have to keep watch over the flock. Look at, look at what he says. Let me pull up the passage um, here, uh, 25, 31. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Um, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard and remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. So... Um, Wherever there are sheep and shepherds, there are wolves, always. They will always be there. They will rise up. They will try to gather a crowd and lead people away, lead people in another direction from where God is taking uh, the sheep, from where the great shepherd shepherd is taking us. Um, One of the main dangers uh, of the church is that some will rise up, and this is Paul's fear, that some will rise up and want to be noticed and want special attention and want some followers for themselves. Um, You have to watch out for people that are after particular things. People that are after power and people that are after wealth. Um, Oftentimes, people actually find ways to use the church to ride this wave to the top. Um, And it ends terribly with terrible church abuse everywhere. I've seen it many times. And we've had to be on our guard many times from people coming in to our church, sort of trying to take power. Um, They make a beeline for the stage. I want to be up there and I want to be seen, whether it's preaching or singing or anything. They They want to go straight. Instead of like, we ask them, well, would you serve in the children's ministry? No, it's not me. Will you, will you park cars with us? No, I don't really, I don't, I don't do that. Will you help hospitality? Will you make coffee? Will you set the table for people? Will you, will you serve in this ministry or that ministry? No, 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 no. My gifting really is in communication and influence and I need to, uh, I need to, okay, thank you. We'll give you a call. And no calls. Um, like it, it's dangerous and you can see it a mile away. Um, and maybe you see it in yourself. It, your desire to lead, if you want to lead, lead the children first. Lead the people um, coming into the parking lot. Lead, lead the people looking for coffee. Like, spend some time at the bottom. Build relationships. Work with people. Get to know people in, in the space. Build community. Learn people's contexts, Learn the things that they're struggling with, their pain, their fears. Don't go into it uh, trying to categorize everybody and figure out, okay, who's this and who's... Just, you're all my brothers and sisters, and get to know people. And re- eventually, people will want to hear what you have to say. Eventually, people will say, hey, you know what, like... This person, they spoke into my life in ways that changed me. And I think they could do that for other people. And that's how it tends to go. Um, all, all the others we have now have, for over a decade, a couple of them have, have, have been making coffee. So one of them was here, Sean was here like 15 years ago, um, from the very beginning, like helping us make coffee and, and set up chairs when we used to set up chairs every week in the theater. Like, they've just served decades and naturally people just look to them when there's a question when something rises up They're like, "Uh-oh, what should we do and they just naturally ask people and we're like oh he's a leader they should be leaders and johanna and monica they just they're these wise present women who are speaking into the lives of people who need it um, and we need more like recognize those people who were leading in the community um and 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 look at some of the things that paul says he points out he's like he's like i never okay let me put some of these up here in uh, verse 33, he goes, he goes I, I want you to know, and I want you to notice. He goes, I never chased after money. This is a big deal. Um, in the first century, everyone viewed these traveling itinerant preachers as hucksters, as a sham. At the beginning, they were thought of highly, and people would give them money. But eventually, around this time, this is a couple decades after Jesus, and, and people are starting to be like, get really annoyed with these traveling Hucksters, and they, they, stop, they stop listening to him and everything. So Paul wants to set himself apart from them. And so when Paul walks into his space, he sets up a little shop, and he, does, he works with linen stuff, and he makes parts for tents, and he makes fabric, and this is what he does to make money. And when you do this, though, one of the quickest ways to lose honor and privilege and power in the ancient Roman world is to work with your hands, especially work with linen. Um, Bottom of the line, bottom of the barrel. It it would be, you know, it's whatever job you can imagine that you think, that you in your eyes think is the lowest job in society. Don't say it out loud because people here might do that. Um, The thing that you're imagining, um, that's what Paul chose to do. He's like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be at the bottom. So nobody lifts me up and nobody looks highly of me and I'm going to... I'm going to sort of, I'm going to minister to these people down here. Um, So he never chased after money, and he says, I worked and made my own living, uh, and I used that money to pay for the, uh, to to provide for others. And so this is a a very fascinating thing. Luke's intention, over and over in the book of Acts, Luke always is bringing up the wealthy in the church, and he points to them, and he speaks to them, and he points out the way that they were working in their church as a model uh, for the wealthy that are in our midst. Um, If you are Middle class, upper middle class, even honestly lower middle class in America is, is vastly higher than most of the other people in the world. Um, so And so basically, if we take a look at Acts as a whole, Luke's intention is for his readers to see the way that the church treated those of low social status, um, the way that they brought them in and treated them as equals. Um, Luke has also suggested several times in the book of Acts that it is the higher status Christians, those with the larger houses, uh, with, uh for the community to meet in with the bigger tables and more access to food and provisions and staff in their households. those, these are the ones who stepped up to provide food for the gatherings of others. They provided a space for the gathering. They provided food for the gathering. And this is what you see all through the book of Acts. So if you find yourself in a position of, of having wealth and having money, um, Paul's message, Luke's message, my encouragement to you as well, um, open your home up to those who don't have a place to gather. A lot of people you don't realize, if you didn't grow up poor or if you didn't spend time in poverty— A lot of people live in very small apartments with several people together, um, very small houses, and they just simply can't have the kind of community that other people can have because their house is small. And so Paul literally encourages the rich. He says, hey, open up your house, move the furniture aside, bring the people in, let them gather there, set your tables. You eat better than they do. Some of them don't eat uh, nearly as often as you do. Some of them spend a couple of days a week without actually eating so that their kids can eat Set the table, feed them, make sure they have what they need, provide the place for them to gather. This is the gift that, that the wealthy in the community get to play, to, to make sure the needs of the people are taken care of and they stand in the gap in that way. Um, and as my understanding of Paul has grown, so has my understanding of, of of wealth and the role that it played in the church. I think when you're, when you're in your 20s and early 30s and you're a Christian and you're, you're getting in like, and you're reading some more and more more sort of progressive theology, what you begin to think is like, oh, you begin to develop sort of like an anger for those who have tons of wealth, and you know people who don't have any. But the call of Christianity was never don't have money. It was if you have money, be with the poor. Spend time with them, bring them in, take care of them. You have a role to play. It's, It's don't shut your doors, allow others in, spend... Bring that community at your table. There should be some single people who, um, who maybe live by themselves and eat every meal out. Perhaps bring them into your house at your table. Um, let them speak to you. They, 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 they sometimes have a lot of wisdom as well because they have a lot more time to read and to, because they don't have families. And, and sometimes they travel and they do incredible work and they meet people around the world. Let them speak into your life as well. Gather people at your table. Not so that you can necessarily bless them, but so they, they can bless you as well through the conversation. And everyone's needs are being met at the same time. So I think my main takeaway from this huge passage that, that Paul has for them um, is, is sort of the, the, and, and the inspiration from Paul's life that he lives in Ephesus is really two things. Paul really, really did mean it. He wasn't just hired to do this job. He was never off the clock. He meant it. At every moment of the day, he He's the presence of Christ wherever he goes. Any space he enters into, he does it without power. He does it with love in his heart and, and, and grace in his eyes and generosity in his hands. And He's always present with the people um, there in this way. And when I, that's, it's inspiring to me because honestly, and I think about, I've been thinking about this, you know, when the pandemic started, I was in my 30s. <laughs> um, and so here I'm, you know, at 41, I, I, that thing really does happen where, first off, you start listening to old stuff when you're a kid. So I'm listening to a lot of, like, the get-up kids and the promise ring and just old stuff um, that nobody's ever heard of, obviously. And so, like, I'm, but also, so your youth, you begin to rethink your youth, but you also, like, okay, like, maybe another 40 years left. Maybe. Um, looking back, did I, did I mean it? Did I mean the things that I, that I said I believed? I can point out so many ways that I didn't that I was just being a part of the group or saying what people wanted to hear. But I didn't really, I don't think I meant it. I really, reading about Paul's life, I want to get to the end of my life and I want to have my family gathered around and I want to know that I meant it. I want them to know that I meant it. They're like, no, I, I talked about Jesus because I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus with everything, even if, it, even if it all goes away, even if it costs all of it, life's work, gone. I really just want to follow Jesus, like, and, and I want you to be able to look back on my life and see that I did. I, I think we all want that. We all want to know that we get to the end of the thing. We meant the thing that we were living for. And not just like in faith, in all of it. As a, as a father and as a spouse, as a friend, as a pastor, and, and as a preacher, like I, I want to know that I meant it. That, that uh, I was, I really did father my children. I was their dad. That I really was the spouse. That I made vows to my spouse and I held them. And I did not waver from them. And any time I did, I'd pick it back up and and repent and and get back on the path again. Like I want to get to the end and say, I gave it everything I had. Not like, yeah, we held it together. I don't want to say, yeah, that church survived for this minute. No, no, no. no. I I, I want to know that we are dwelling in the kingdom of God. I just somehow want to get there. It doesn't need to get bigger. It can get smaller. That's totally fine. I, I just want us to really, really, really mean it and not play these games with ideology and coercion and, and, and spending time antagonizing people who we disagree with. Like, none, I just want to mean it. I want to love them. I want to invite them in. Um, my biggest desire at the end of it is just to say, at the, at, at the end of all of it, the sermons, the vows, the hugs, the embraces, like, I meant that. Paul did, you know? Um, and the second thing is, like, he really did leave a path to follow, he made it easy. You just look at his life and you can see. He left a path to follow. And I want to look at my sons and my daughter and I want to point back and say, that's how you build a household. That's how you love your wife. That's how you speak to, that's how you speak to people. That's how you, uh, you take care of the poor who are in your midst. You know them. You make sure that they have what they need. Um, they, are, they, are, they are a part of your community and, 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 and your extended family. That's how you practice the spiritual disciplines. That's how you wake up in the morning. That's how you go to bed at night. That is how you stay plugged in. And then I want to invite them. I want to live it all for them and then invite them into it. This is what Jesus did. This is what the apostles did. Um, For the last few years, this has been like the center of my theology. This is, we are called to be a theatrical performance of the cross, of Christ. However that looks, making decisions specifically because Jesus made them, because Jesus would, if he was here, do this. What is the wise thing? What is the Christ-like thing? What is the thing that the Spirit is calling us to do? And that's how we should, be, should live. And then we invite people in that to continue that work long after we're gone. That's discipleship. That is the work of the elder so that the church can follow. So Paul has given them a lot, of think, a lot to think about. He's given us a lot to think about. Um, I'm gonna land the plane right there, sort of hanging in the air. Like, I want you to spend some time this week pondering several things. First off, um, if you have more than others in the room, invite them into your life into your house, into your table. Eat some meals together. Practice the disciplines. Spend some time with them. If you were um, having a hard time trying to figure out, like, am I a pastor? Am I being called to ministry? Look at your life. Are you pastoring people now? If not, if you'd like to be a pastor, start pastoring people now. Um, like, there's so much that, that Paul leaves for us to take away, but it, it all sort of comes down to, like, an examination of a life lived and then saying yeah, I think I've left you with something to build off of. And that's all we can hope for, for our children, for the next generation. Like, build something that they, can, that they can follow and live off of. Not something that, like many of us, not something that they're gonna have to, like, tear out and get rid of. I feel like we were left a house that had been renovated and fully furnished poorly. And we moved into this house called Christianity um, And all of us who grew up as evangelical Christians, we moved into this house and we were just so distraught by the things that we found and and how it had become so dilapidated from its once glory day. And now we're beginning the work of tearing it all out and renovating it. Let's leave something beautiful. Let's mean it. Let's pray. Father, be with us. Send us on our way and lead us whatever path you have for us. Help us to be your presence in the world so that we can invite people into it. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Will you stand with me and we'll close out in, uh, with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen grace and peace love you all have the greatest sunday of your life if you are getting baptized next week uh you'll hear from me if you have emailed me um and uh i'll let you know how to prepare for that also i need 15 able-bodied humans to help us move a baptismal just let me know right up here very soon it won't take long if we have enough